This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. The Saint was first brought to life on radio in 1940 by Terence DeMarney. It was on Radio Athlone. It was then a five-year wait before NBC picked up the option and featured Edgar Barrier as Simon Templer, alias The Saint. Uh, later in 1945, Brian Ahern took over the role when the show was switched over to CBS. And then in 1947, probably the most famous radio saint of all time, Vincent Price added his golden voice to the role. Uh, Vincent Price was once quoted as saying, the most difficult thing about the show was coming up with new and unique ways to get conked on the head. <laughs> Tonight's episode is entitled, Murder of an Author. Adventures of the Saint, starring Vincent Price. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as The Saint. Templar? Mr. Templar. I'm asleep. Mr. Templar. Noisy dream. You're not dreaming, Mr. Templar. That's what you say. I'm alone in my bedroom. I'm in bed. It's dark. Oh, but you're not alone. I'm here. Go away. I'm sorry. I didn't climb into your bedroom in the middle of the night merely to go away again. What did you expect? A 21-gun salute? I expect your attention. You can't see me, can you? No, I'd be even happier if I couldn't hear you. But I can see you, however. You're silhouetted against the window behind you. That was cunning of me. It helps me aim the gun I'm pointing at you. I'm so glad. I'd hate to have your aim suffer. Well, what do I do now? Get up, put the lights on, You and... don't do anything of the kind. No? Why? Are you shy? Yeah. Let's say I'm shy. <laughs> That's why you insist on holding this conversation with me in the dark. The conversation, obviously, that wouldn't be about the weather. What would it be about? Well... I'm a writer. A writer and shy? Nonsense. I need some advice. The only advice I can give all writers is don't. I'm writing a book about murder. I'm calling it The Story of a Perfect Crime. Sounds interesting. Thank you. What I came here for was to have you tell me whether or not the murder my book deals with is really a perfect crime. Go on. The man to be murdered, in my book, that is, suffers from heart disease. He's a completely unpleasant character, a financier and a crooked one, a man who deserves to die. Mm-hmm, and he suffers from heart disease. 
For this condition, he takes daily at stated hours capsules containing medicine, capsules upon which his life depends. Now then, the murderer, in my book, that is, decides to poison the financier. Well, that's not cricket. No, it's murder. Murder that will be poisoning without poison. I'm waiting breathlessly for the next chapter. The murderer steals one of the capsules, pours the medicine out, and replaces the medicine with powdered sugar. He returns the capsule to the financier's pillbox. In due course, the financier reaches the capsule, takes it. His weak heart, lacking the medicine he needs, fails. And there you have poisoning without poison. Mmm, very ingenious. <laughs> I think so. The poisoner can't be traced through the poison he purchased because he didn't purchase any. The murdered man is assumed to have died a natural death. An autopsy will show no poison in his body since there wasn't any. <laughs> well, is it a perfect crime? I can't see any flaws in it. Good. Then if you can't, I don't imagine the critics will. Don't you mean the uh, police? The pol Why should the police be interested in a book I'm writing? Why should the critics be interested in the murder you're committing? You're not serious. You are. I... I rather think I must leave now. Be getting light soon. No, no, don't move. I still have the gun pointing at you. If I had to shoot you, it wouldn't be a perfect crime, but you'd be dead nonetheless. <laughs> but that wouldn't interest you, would it? Well, good night, Mr. Templer, and uh, pleasant dreams. Thanks. Love. And the morning paper. Oh, thank you. Uh, you're up early this morning, aren't you? I, uh, I couldn't sleep. Hey, any resemblance between this toast and toast is purely coincidental. What does your chef do, tan the stuff? Oh, no, Mr. Templer. He probably uses old shoe leather. What's the matter? Don't you like the headlines? Can't say that I do. Frank A. Clark, noted financier, dies of heart attack as Police arrest him for alleged embezzlement. Oh. Was he a friend of yours, Mr. Templer? No. But he was a financier. He was crooked. And he had a weak heart. <laughs> no wonder he died when he got arrested. Depends on whether he took medicine in uh, capsules. What depends on that, sir? Murder, my friend. Murder. Taxi. Hi. Oh, no, Louie. Oh, yeah, Louie. Out of all the taxi cabs in this city, why do I keep getting yours? Out of all the fares in this city, why do I keep getting you? You have a point there. I'll go right home and shop. You'll stay where you are. You want to go home with me? No. What's the matter with my home? Nothing. But... I live there, don't I? My wife lives there. My kids live there. You have no children. Don't get personal. I'm sorry. Man spends every spare minute he's got hoping. Louis. Did Julius Caesar have children? Did Alexander the Great have children? Did Napoleon have children? Yes. Me, they didn't send an announcement to. Louis, will you please drive me to 1893 Waterview Drive? I'm in a hurry. Okay, okay. <laughs> 
1893 Waterview Drive. Who lives there? A gentleman named Frank A. Clark. Except that he doesn't live there, Louie. He's, uh, dead there. You're going to keep company with a corpse, Mr. Templer? I am going to visit his surviving relatives, if any. Why? Does it occur to you that it might be none of your business? Sure. It's none of your business? Well, now that we got that clear, why are you going to visit his room? Louis, stop the car, quick. Oh, I stop. What happened? We've reached 1893 Waterview Drive. Oh, I'm careless about little details like that. Here, Louis, and don't forget to mention it to your income tax collector. I'll write to him. Hey, don't you want me to wait? No, but you will, Louis. You will. Hello. Uh, this is the Clark home, isn't it? Sure, and I'm a Clark niece. And you're... Simon Templer, uh, an old friend of your uncle's. You're not old. <laughs> well, I... And you're not a friend of my uncle's. Come in, anyway. Oh, thank you. Because maybe you can be a friend of mine. Oh. In here. Uh, tell me, uh, do you need a friend? No, but I like them. When they're as tall as you and... Oh, my name is Inez. Inez Francis. I'm very glad to know you, Miss Francis. It probably won't be when you really get to know me. <laughs> I realize perhaps I shouldn't have come today. You must be all broken up by your uncle's death. Who, me? Well, perhaps the family. Oh, well, that's me. I'm the family. Your uncle must have been a lonely man. Well, he didn't mind. He had me in the market and all those people he was swindling. Oh, and of course he had Mr. Hartzell and Charlie Melvin. Who are Hartzell and Charlie Melvin? Charlie's sort of a weedy youth, Uncle's secretary, very anemic. I ignore him. And Hartzell? Uncle's lawyer. And I fondly suspect as big a crook as Uncle was. But very spatted, you know. Spatted? Uh-huh. On the shoes. And gardenia'd in the buttonhole. And I've a sneaking suspicion whiskey'd in the liver. How untidy. Uh, nobody else close to Uncle? Nope. Well, then it boils down to one of you three. What does? Who's happy now that Uncle's dead? I am Hartzell is, Charlie is. That covers the field. Why? Uncle had a lot of money. I get it now. Hartzell stole some money from Uncle. He won't go to jail now. Charlie was implicated in Uncle's crooked deal. Charlie won't go to jail now. Mm. And uh, who has a, a deep, slightly hoarse voice? I don't. No. Which means that you're not the one who came to my room last night. No, but if you ask. Prettily, perhaps I'll come tonight. I know. So Look I... at your etchings. I don't have any etchings. I'll bring some with me. Um, are the others around? Mm-hmm. Sitting around practicing grief-stricken looks for the funeral. That happy event is this afternoon. Well, I'd better get dressed for it. But you are dressed. Ah, but not for a funeral. Would you excuse me for just a minute? Oh, of course. Oh. <laughs> oh, here you are, Annie. Greetings, Mr. Templer. This is Charlie. Charlie, this is Mr. Templer. Glad to meet you. How do you do? He doesn't. Entertain Mr. Templer for me, Charlie. i got to find a dress that's sad-looking. I'd like to stay and entertain you, but uh, I've got to hurry. You see, I'm Mr. Clark's secretary. In his condition, I... he doesn't need a secretary. <laughs> well, I'm Mr. Clark's former secretary. No, no, I'm the former Mr. Clark's secretary. No, I get I... it now. Relax. Oh, I'm relaxed. Well, then why are you in such a hurry? Well, I have to go out and hire some mourners, haven't I? Why? 
Well, it wouldn't look nice if there were only three of us at the funeral. I know as Mr. Hartzell and myself. No, especially since you'll all be grinning from ear to ear. May I ask you a question? Of course. Has your voice ever been deeper? Deep? <laughs> Heaven, no. <laughs> that, uh... Goodbye. Charlie, my boy. Or is he, my boy? Oh, this... Oh, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Uh, my name is Temper, and I'm... Uh, Hartzell is my name. I I'm sorry. I, I can't talk to you now. I'm in a hurry. Why? Uh, my tailor's expecting me. Your tailor? You'd hardly expect me to attend Mr. Clark's funeral in this, would you? Impossible. Uh, you see? Uh, so, if you don't mind, I'll just run along. Oh. Yes? What are you doing here? Looking for a man with a deep voice. Oh, sorry, mine isn't. But why are you looking for a man with a deep voice? He told me how Mr. Clark was murdered. Well, that explained it. What? Yes, he was murdered. But, but Mr. Clark died of heart failure. Indeed. You must be a... I, I demand an explanation immediately. You've forgotten one thing, Mr. Hartford. Now, what's that? Your tailor is waiting. But I... And tailors are sometimes very temperamental. Besides, we can discuss this some other time. This evening? This evening. Uh, here's my card. I, I'd appreciate your coming. If Mr. Clark was murdered, something must be done about it. Something will be. Who knocks at my gate? Enter. Templar, as I live on sufferance and breathe with difficulty, Templar. <laughs> Hello, Desmond. <laughs> what happy winds waft you hither, Simon the Subtle? Uh, Desmond, I'm not an audience. Oh, Templar, I'm an old ham. Contrary to what they say, hams do not improve by aging. Still the gay adventurer? Well, I'm not especially gay at the moment. Murder. Oh, the last murder that was of any interest to me was that Elsinore thing. You know, when Claudius and Gertrude put their heads together and slipped Gertrude's royal husband a slug of poison in the ear. I remember it well. And the fat prince, uh, uh, Hamlet, I think his name was, Mooned about like a ninny, sending Ophelia to a watery grave and the rest of the cast to a most bloody one. <laughs> you you would have made a good Hamlet. Bless you! Oh, I, I wanted to play Hamlet. Instead, they preferred me as a ventriloquist, confound them. That's why I'm here. You've been a ventriloquist. Uh, I'm involved in a case which hangs on the identity of a voice. Desmond... Could anyone change his voice so that it would be completely different from his real voice? Oh, yes. But you'd always know that the second voice wasn't natural. That does it, Sam. Does what, Simon? Look, Desmond, three people wanted a man named Clark dead. Clark is dead. Well, presumably, therefore, one of the three killed Clark. Yes. Now, I was told of the method whereby Clark was going to be killed by a very distinctive voice in the dark. Therefore, the problem was simple. Find which of my three suspects had a voice like that and... Go on from there. Well? Not one of the three has that kind of voice, which leaves me with an interesting problem, but leaves the murderer free to go on murdering. How was the corpse, Mr. Templer? Dead. Louis, I want the nearest bookstore. You can't have it. It belongs to a guy named Pestlethwaite. Would you please drive me there quickly? Okay. What's the matter? Suddenly decided you want to curl up in front of a fire with a good book? Uh, for that, I'd rather have Inez. Uh, no, Louis, I merely want to find out how a man can die of poisoning without being poisoned. <laughs> 
He didn't have the book I wanted. I know a place. Uh, not that kind of book, Louis. What I wanted was a book on heart diseases. Oh, light reading, huh? Interesting. Heart diseases? These stores had one book on heart disease in stock until yesterday. So? Yesterday, the book was sold to a man, Pestlethwaite told me, who behaved in a strenuously agitated fashion. A man named Hartzell. Maybe the name was bothering him. Which reminds me, where am I taking you? Naturally, Louis, to a man named Hartzell. Hartzell in or uh, on his way to Mexico or uh, in? Mr. Templer. Yes, Mr. Hartzell. Come in, come in at once. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm jittery. That, that funeral this afternoon. I see. Well, have you tried reading? It's very soothing. I have no patience with books. Now, uh, please tell Not me. even books on heart disease? Hmm? Oh, why? Uh, uh, excuse me. Hello? Oh, yes, Inez. What? Oh, how dreadful. Oh, yes, at once. Goodbye. You're pale. I'm shocked. Charlie Melvin. You know him? Mr. Clark's secretary. Yes, well... It seems that something's happened to him. What? He's dead. Tell him to hurry. Temper, hurry. Oh, we're almost there. Mr. Hartzell, did Arnaz say who discovered the body? Oh, yes, she did. She'd been visiting some friends, returned home, and... Couldn't have been an accidental death. Coincidence doesn't stretch that far. You know, if he was murdered... You still think the police believe Clark was murdered, too? Not the police, me. Oh, Mr. Hartwell. Oh, Siren. <laughs> Hello, Annette. Uh, come in. Getting to be embarrassing, all the sudden death. It might be more than embarrassing. It might be fatal. It was, but Charlie... How did it happen? He shot himself. The police have... I you... just phoned him. Oh, then we'd better hurry. Well, this is his room. In here. I heard the shot. When? About an hour ago. But you phoned Hartzell here only 15 minutes ago. I didn't know it was a shot at first. Charlie was supposed to come upstairs. When he didn't, I realized, well, there he is. Yes. Yes, definitely dead. And <laughs> the note. Oh, imagine that boy committing suicide. Let's see what the note says. I killed Clark because if he'd been arrested, I would have gone to jail, too. But now the police suspect he was murdered, and they suspect me. I might as well get it over with before they do. And it's signed, Charlie Melvin. Well, that sort of clears up that, doesn't it? Yes, except for one thing. What's that? Charlie's voice wasn't deep enough. <laughs> should sometimes be strangled. I'm asleep, and so should you be. Templer? Yes. Hartzell? Listen, I'm at the Ensign Club on Trocadero. Yes? Uh, I couldn't go home. Charlie's death so soon after Clark's. 
Anyway, remember that voice you told me about? I remember it very well. I just heard it. What? The man with the voice like the one you described was here. I'll be right over. Uh, he's gone now, but I, I followed him outside and heard him give the cab driver his address. Good boy. I have my car. I'll pick you up immediately. Fine, fine. We can go right after him. It's some distance outside the city. The guy traveled to the North Pole for him. You don't measure miles when chasing phantoms. <laughs> I, I can't be absolutely sure it's the man you want. Me, I'm grabbing at straws. But his voice did sound like your description. It was at a club to which Clark belonged. I'll make it worth a try. All I needed to hear him say something, anything, a word, a phrase, and I'll know. No, that shouldn't be difficult once we get to him. Once we get to him. Only thing worries me is... Uh, yes? That his voice can still be heard by the time we get to him. <laughs> Way to the North Pole. So you didn't take me literally, did you? You shouldn't be much farther. Uh, Templar. Yes? I don't understand about Charlie. I can't see him murdering Clark somehow. You don't believe he did it? Do you? Not especially. Oh, why not? Oh, I don't know. Intuition, maybe. Ooh, a little stranger likes seclusion, doesn't he? Evidently. You know, the police accepted that suicide note without question. Did they? Uh, there's the house. Oh, there aren't any lights showing. Well, he must have got here sometime before us. Uh, went to bed, I guess. Yeah, probably. I wonder. Do you think he'll recognize you? Oh, probably. I couldn't see him, but he saw me. Well, that might be bad. Uh, are you armed in case he tries anything? No, but we'll manage. Well, suppose he refuses to to say anything at all. Well, that in itself would answer our question, wouldn't it? We uh, ring? Certainly. Nothing is not courteous. It's so... So dark out here. So far from anything. Yeah, dark and lonely, you put it beautifully. He... he doesn't answer. Try the door. Very well. It's open. Good, then we can walk right in. I can't see a thing. Yeah, wait a minute, I'll light a match. There, the light switch to your left, Hartzell. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Oh, that's much better. Now then, mm. it's a very charming house you have here, Mr. Hart. What did you say? I said you have a very charming house here. My house? Well, you didn't really think I was fooled, did you? That voice you heard in your club was a fiction. It had to be. Our trip here was planned by you so that we'd be alone here. Well, why, why would I want that? The better to kill me, my friend. Kill you, you say? That's what I say. Why, why... Would I want to kill you? And because, like yourself, I think that suicide note of Charlie's was a fake. Oh, I never said... I did. It is a fake. How did you know? The note ran to the effect that Charlie was committing suicide because the police suspected him of murdering Clark. But the police didn't suspect Clark of being murdered. Perhaps not, but you did. Yes, but Charlie didn't know that, Mr. Hartzell. I didn't tell him. I... Oh, very well. Just stay right where you are. Mm, what a handsome revolver. I did kill Charlie, so that there wouldn't be any investigation into Clark's death. I, I, I couldn't afford that. If you kill me, there will be an investigation. No, because no one knows you came here with me. You're not going to die. 
You're going to disappear. Oh? In my front. I wouldn't like that too, Wall. I'm afraid your likes can no longer be considered. Well, in that case, I'll have a cigarette. Let me see now which pocket. Hey, hold on, oh, huh? Mr. Hart, who do you want? Oh, my, you dropped your revolver. <laughs> now I have two. You... You said you weren't armed. I'm such a liar. But then, you see, I knew when you asked me why you asked me. So perhaps I'll be forgiven. Uh, Templar, I killed Charlie, but I didn't kill Clark. I swear I Good didn't. Good heavens, Mr. Hartzell. I never for a moment thought you did. A beautiful night time. Mm. Poor Mr. Hartzell, all shut up in a dungeon cell. Yes, I'm afraid the beauties of the night are lost to him. Those beauties are also lost to Charlie and Mr. Clark. Mm, don't be morbid. They're better off dead. Well, it would have been nicer to leave that decision to them. Mr. Hartzell, bless his fussy old soul, was really an impulsive man. The foolish one. Mm. Let's not talk about him anymore. Let's talk of your uncle. Why? Because Hartzell didn't kill him. Oh? A man came to me in the middle of the night, in the darkness, so that I never saw him, and told me of a plan to murder Mr. Clark. It was a good plan, absolutely undetectable. Man left. All through this case, I've been looking for a man with a voice like the one that told me of murder. And? There were three people involved. Yourself, who'd get the money if Clark died. Charlie, who'd be saved from jail. Hartzell, who'd be free of embezzlement. Uncle certainly spread a lot of joy when he died. Charlie was murdered by Hartzell, but Charlie's was not the voice that spoke to me, nor was Hartzell's. Then whose voice could it possibly have been? Mm, that's the central problem. All right, why did the man come to me in the first place? Well, according to you, to make sure his method of murder would never be detected. But in coming to me, my dear, didn't he make sure of the very opposite? Oh. Well, then he must have wanted you to... That's to... right. That's right. He wanted me to detect murder, but why? Obviously not because he was going to murder anyone. I don't understand. The only voice in this case that I haven't heard is the voice of your uncle. My uncle? He was my visitor. But why? Why did he do it? Because nobody was going to murder him. What could he hope to accomplish? What he did accomplish. Inez, your uncle was an old man with heart disease on the verge of being arrested for theft, swindling. He knew he wouldn't survive even the shortest prison term. He probably suspected that the strain of the arrest itself might be fatal. And it was. But before he died, he wanted revenge on the lawyer who cheated him and on the secretary who deserted him. So he came to me with his story, figuring that when he died, perfectly naturally, murder would be suspected where no murder had taken place. And it worked, didn't it? Because Hartzell killed Charlie. Hartzell himself is going to die for it. Yes. Your uncle must have been quiet. Simon. Yes? There's a moon. We've talked of unhappy things long enough. Mm-hmm. Got any itching? Mm-hmm. Hey, wait a minute. I thought you didn't have any the last time I asked you. The last time you asked me, my dear, you were a suspect for murder. Now. Now? Now you're beautiful, you're blonde, and... Yes? It's just plain murder. <laughs> listening to another transcribed adventure of The Saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime, 
And now, here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, poison doesn't always come in bottles. And it isn't always marked with the skull and crossbones of danger. Poison can take the form of words and phrases and acts. The venom of racial and religious hatred. Here in the United States, perhaps more than ever before, we must learn to recognize the poison of prejudice and to discover the antidote to its dangerous effects. Evidences of racial and religious hatred in our country place a potent weapon in the hands of our enemies, providing them with the ammunition of criticism. Moreover, group hatred menaces the entire fabric of democratic life. As for the antidote, you can fight prejudice, first by recognizing it for what it is, and second by actively accepting or rejecting people on their individual worth, and by speaking up against prejudice and for understanding. Remember, freedom and prejudice can't exist side by side. If you choose freedom, fight prejudice. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at the same time for another exciting adventure of the saints. Good night. of the Saint was written by Louis Vitties. Our cast included Gene Bates, Lou Merrill, Fred Howard, Jack Edwards Jr., and Larry Dobkin. The music was composed and conducted by Vaughn Dexter. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, is a James L. Safier production and is directed by Helen Mack. Vincent Price is soon to be seen co-starring in RKO's production of His Kind of Woman. All you Saint fans will be glad to know that the Saint comic books are now on sale at all newsstands. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Programs, get your programs here. Tomorrow night here in Nightbeat, the adventures of newspaper reporter Randy Stone is portrayed by Frank Lovejoy. Listen as Randy works the nightbeat of a newspaper in search of unusual, interesting stories. At Nightbeat tomorrow night, next Sam Spade cuts a caper. Then Zeno Franciscati plays on NBC. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. It was one of broadcast history's earliest spin-off programs. The series was built around the character Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, a regular element of the radio situation comedy Fimber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve, played by Harold Perry, enjoyed its greatest popularity in the 1940s. He had a laugh that's hard not to smile when you hear it. So here we go with The Great Gildersleeve and the episode entitled The Sneezes. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. (laughs) The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levin. For the past few days, our friend Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve has been the victim of a baffling attack of the sneezes, and so far he hasn't found out the cause. Could it be some allergy, or is his mustache starting to back up on him? Come on, let's visit the great Gildersleeve and find out. (laughs) 
saying, Marjorie. Every time I... 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 Gesundheit. Eh, don't mention it. Every time you what, Uncle Moore? Every time I... 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 A button pops off my vest. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, you bet. I'm on my fourth vest now. Yeah, and that last sneeze broke, broke your shoelaces. Yeah? Oh, well, I've got to find some way of stopping this sneezing before I blow my blames out. Oh, I didn't do it that time. Because <laughs> I'm dying. Yeah, well, you don't have to mention that. <laughs> no, Uncle Mort, I really think you should see a doctor. Now, this may be something serious. Sure, whatever it is, it's nothing to be sneezed at. Then why am I sneezing? Well, there must be something you're allergic to. Yeah, I know it. I'm allergic to sneezing. No, Uncle. Something else is wrong. Now, why don't you go right downtown and see Dr. DePeister? Yeah, who in the name of the Mayo Brothers is Dr. DePeister? Well, I understand he's wonderful. Allergies are his specialty. Oh, you mean he's an anti-sneeze man? <laughs> yes. Florence Foreman told me he cured her. Found she was allergic to gasoline, so she sold a car. It, wasn't that a little drastic? Uh, oh, no. After she got Dr. DePeister's bill, she had to anyway. <laughs> well, I hate to blow in a lot of money on my nose, Marjorie. <laughs> Excuse me, Miss Margaret. I was just making up your room. And you know that little kitty of yours? Ah, you mean my itty-bitty pity kitty? Itty-bitty all for corn's sake. Yep. <laughs> What's he been up to now, Bertie? If that sweater you making for that ensign in the Navy on account of he gave you that pussycat? Don't tell me you found that. Yes, sir. The kitten got into mitten. <laughs> oh, that's a shame, Marjorie. What did he try to do? Pull the wool over his eyes? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and on him it don't look good. <laughs> oh, dear. Did he do much damage, Bertie? Just look here. I brought the sweater in. What sweater? That thing is more snarls than a cage full of tigers. Why, it's... He... Uh, oh. It's what, Uncle? It's a... you. Gee, Uncle, that one made the windows rattle. The windows, eh? Good. I thought it was my teeth. <laughs> really, Uncle Mort, you must go downtown and see Dr. DePice. Oh, nonsense, Marjorie. Why should I let a tribute? You, you, help you. Uh, well, maybe someday to help you. Come on, what are we waiting for? Where is that doctor? <laughs> But Marjorie, I haven't sneezed once since we left home. Just my luck. When the doctor asks me how I do it, I won't be able to show him. Oh, now sit down, Uncle. Relax and look at a magazine. Magazine? Oh, all right. There's an article in the National Geographic for May 1916. I never did finish. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle, you won't find that here. Why not? This is a doctor's office, isn't it? Yes, but this is a young doctor. It makes no difference, my dear. When a boy decides on a medical career, what's the first thing he does? I don't know. What? He starts saving magazines. <laughs> That's one of the reasons he has to be an intern so long. <laughs> Just to age his national geographics. <laughs> oh, Uncle. <laughs> Why do they always have a National Geographic? Well, it's all about faraway places. Anybody who sits in a doctor's office would rather be someplace far away. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Are you Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, yes. Well, the doctor will see you now. This way, please. Yeah, what's he so cheerful about? <laughs> the way she chirped, she'd make Florence Nightingale sound like a mudlark. <laughs> now, you go right ahead, Uncle Moore. Well, all right, my dear, but I'm feeling dandy now. 
Oh, this is Mr. Gildersleeve, Doctor. How do you do, uh, Gildersleeve? Gildersleeve. Any relation to Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve? Oh, yes, that's me. Oh, it is. Well, now, where'd I hear that name before? I phoned you an hour ago. That's where I heard it. <laughs> I never forget a face. Uh, what seems to be your trouble? Uh, sneezing. Oh, you're having trouble sneezing? Oh, no, I'm not having trouble sneezing. I'm having trouble sneezing. For the past four or five days, that's all I've been doing. Yeah, monotonous, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I'm starting to get a permanent wave in my nose. Every morning, I get up and sneeze all the cornflakes out of my bowl. I know what will cure that. What was that? I say I know what will cure that. What? Oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> well, you better remove your clothes, please. And while you're doing that, I'll ask you a few questions. Yeah. Uh, does anything you eat make your eyes water? Yeah, raw onions. <laughs> Any food cause violent sneezing? Well, black pepper does. Any favorite dish that causes spots to appear on you? Oh, yes, yes. I get spots from soft-boiled eggs. From eggs? Where? On my necktie. <laughs> <laughs> but really, Doctor, I, I wish you could see me sneeze. My eyes pop out so far, it looks like I'm going to expel the pupils. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, suppose you show me how you do it. I can't. I haven't sneezed once since I left home. Most interesting. Eliminates one type of allergy that's very difficult to cure. Uh, what's that? Uh, the auto-infectious variety, when a person's allergic to himself. <laughs> oh, well, I couldn't have that. I like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Your trouble seems to be localized somewhere at home. Uh, that makes the problem much simpler. Oh, of course. All I have to do is move. Well, goodbye, Doc. One second, please. We'll never find the trouble by moving away from it. I don't want to find it. I just want to lose it. Uh, then we must conduct a series of tests. And I believe the best place to do that is in your home. Oh. Shouldn't take us long to locate the trouble. Not more than a year. Yes, just a year? <laughs> yes, if we're lucky. And now, let me listen to your heart. Hey, quietly. Yeah, okay. Hmm, you must have a heart of oak. I'd better listen again. Most interesting. Excuse me, doctor, but somebody's at the door. <laughs> oh, oh, I see. Uh, what is it? It's time to take your pills, doctor. No, I won't. I hate pills. Go away. <laughs> By the way, doctor, how much is this going to cost? Oh, not much. Just $50 for each series of tests. It, why, that could run up into five. Oh, my goodness, it could, couldn't it? Well, that's true. But if we don't do that, you'll probably sneeze yourself into an early grave. Oh, doctor, how soon are you coming over? Uh, how about Sunday afternoon? I'll be waiting for you. Well, I'd better get going now. Oh, no, no, Mr. Gildersleeve, don't go out that way. Why not? That's the way I came in. Oh, no, you didn't. When you came in, you had your clothes on. What? Oh! <laughs> Gee, we haven't any nails left. What are you going to do when we run out? Oh, we can pull some more out Uncle Mort's tires. Hi, Unc. Oh, hello, Leroy. Yeah, hello, Piggy. What did the doctor say, Unc? He said $5, please. Jeepers, Leroy, what's wrong? Unc suffers from the allergic. Yeah. Allergic? What's that? Well, something rubs his nose the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> say, Unc, look what we're building. It, uh, yeah, I see. What's it supposed to be? It's a treehouse. For our club, the young MacArthur. You're putting it in the wrong place, Leroy. You'll never get a MacArthur out on a limb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it. Where are you going to put it? Well, as soon as we get it nailed together, we're going to haul it up on that oak where the branches spread. Uh, you know, prefabrication. If, if, oh, well, that's an idea, isn't it? Did you ever have a tree house, Mr. Gillespie? Well, I started to one time. I had a wonderful idea. A log house and a tree. But it didn't work out. Why not, Uncle? Well, we only had one tree in our backyard, and by the time I'd sawed enough logs for the house, there wasn't any tree left to put it in. <laughs> Did you build a house anyway? And, no, my father found out what happened, and... The logs and Pop and I all wound up in the woodshed. <laughs> oh, was that the time you wanted to run away and be a sailor and he knocked the tar out of you? If... <laughs> no, Leroy, that was another whaling expedition. <laughs> Gee, Mr. Gillespie, will you help us build our clubhouse? Oh, of course. I'll pitch right in. Hand me the hammer, Leroy. Thank you. I just love to drive nails. Hey, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Now watch me and learn, Leroy. Excuse me. Understand now, Leroy? No, I, I don't quite... Oh, but it's so simple. What's troubling you? Well, I'm wondering how you're going to get your necktie off now that you've nailed both ends to the plank. If, what do you mean? <laughs> if I see. Oh, it's just fine up there, Leroy. Now nail down that little birdhouse. Birdhouse? Oh, you mean our mailbox. Leroy, who's going to deliver mail up in a tree 20 feet off the ground? Okay, it's a birdhouse. Yes. Oh, oh, Leroy! Yes, buddy! I'd like you to come down out of that tree town for lunch. And that reminds me, Mr. Gilson, Judge Cooper just dropped in. Oh, he did, did he? That old goat always shows up at feeding time. <laughs> Tell him to come out here. I want him to see the house we built. Uh, yes, sir. And don't you see it, Daddy Leroy. I won't worry. Gee, I'm giving the clubhouse swell. I just finished fixing my secret trapdoor in the roof. A secret trapdoor? Well, I wish I could see it. Must be very cozy inside. Okay. Yeah, now you go in to lunch. And scrub your hands before you sit down at the table. Okay, but gee whiz, I'll bet Tarzan never has to wash before he eats. Yes, of course not. Tarzan's in hot water all the time. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. Hello, Leroy. How are you feeling, Gildersleeve? Still sneezing your brains out, or have you run out of brains? <laughs> no, Hooker, I haven't run out of brains. Would you like to borrow some? No, no. Wouldn't think of taking your last one. <laughs> What's the big attraction out here? The attraction is that treehouse the kids built. Like to go up there and look at it? No, thanks. I can see it well enough from here. Uh, they have a secret trap door and a lot of other modern improvements. Come on, come on, let's go. Now, let's quit kidding ourselves, Rockmorton. We're too old to go traipsing up the side of a tree to peek at a packing box. Yeah, speak for yourself, you old foggy. <laughs> foggy! Okay, then you're an old foggy. <laughs> why, why, you even get out of breath playing checkers. Thank goodness I'm different. Don't kid me, Throckmorton. If you aren't too old, you're too fat. Now forget about it. You're dizzy enough on the ground without climbing trees. Uh, in that case, I guess I'll have to show you, Judge Hooker. Here, hold my coat, Grandpa, and watch a man strut his stuff. Careful, Gildy. You'll get halfway up and then spread your stuff. <laughs> Don't worry about me, Judge. I come from a long line of tree climbers. And maybe so, but remember, you haven't any tail. <laughs> <laughs> if I stand on this box, I think I can reach that limb. Yeah, just watch me, Judge. Come on down from there, Gildersleeve, before you fall on that big fat neck. Just a little rusty, that's all. Oh, I never knew I weighed so much. <laughs> You're building up to a terrible letdown, Humpty Dumpty. Oh, by George, I'm going to make it. And nobody's more surprised than I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
Well, you made it, but you never get down again. Say, you ought to be up here, Judge. There's a beautiful view from here. There is? Uh Uh-huh. On a clear day, I can see into every second-story window in the block. (laughs) What are you walking around on the roof for? The door isn't up there. I think it is. Leroy said something about a secret trap door somewhere. Excuse me, what happened? I found the trap door. (laughs) You better stop fooling around and come down. That's pretty dangerous. You may be right. I better... Uh Uh-oh. What's wrong now? But I got in here. I should be able to get out. Gimmersley, what's the trouble? I can't squeeze out of this door. But you just got in. Yeah, but I came in fast, and I'm stuck fast, too. Yeah, this is going to be one of my bad days. Now let's return to the great Gildersleeve, whom we left stranded in a house in a tree in the backyard. As we find Uncle Mort again, he's still there, while below Judge Hooker tries to comfort him with songs. Rock-a-bye, Gildy, in the treetop. I'll kill that hooker. When the wind blows, hang on or you drop. Yeah, I'll drop on you. When the bow bends, it surely will break, and Gildy will hit just like an earthquake. <laughs> hooker, stop that infernal nursery ride. Oh, you want something more modern, huh? All right, Gildy, I'll give you the number one song on the hit parade. Yo. Don't sit up in the apple tree with anyone else but me. Anyone else but me. Yes. Anyone else but me. No, no, no. <laughs> Do something. Get me out of here. This is a terrible predicament. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> you just wait, Judge Hooker. I'm going to break every bone in your head. Now get me out of here. Decided to visit your treehouse, Leroy. See him? He became so absorbed in it, he can't tear himself away. Yeah. Oh, yeah, now I can see him. He's sticking out of a secret trap door. Oh, I'm telling like it up there. I'd like it a lot better up here if I were down there. Gee, is anything wrong? Oh, no, nothing at all, Leroy. Except that I'm wearing your secret trap door as a girdle. <laughs> I'm stuck up here fast. You've got to do something. Uncle Moore is up a tree. Look. Why, Uncle Moore? Yeah, hello, Marjorie. <laughs> what are you doing up there? I think he's looking for a bird's nest. He's been acting as if he's a little cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you egg me on, Hooker. Marjorie, I came up here to inspect Leroy's little shanty, but now I'm stuck. And frankly, I'm beginning to get bored with lodging here. Excuse me, folks, but where is Mr. Yeah, I'm right here, Bertie. Well, where's that horse coming from? He's crazy in the top of the tree. His throat's bigger than the tree. <laughs> I'm upstairs in the tree, Bertie. What is it? Oh, uh, there's a doctor doing life with the sun door to see. He says he's gotten a poison. Oh, great jumping jeeps. The sneeze doctor. I forgot all about him. Gee, yeah, Uncle, I don't think there's room enough for both of you up there. <laughs> of course not, Leroy. I won't have anyone see me in this ridiculous, undignified position. Bertie, tell him to come back later in the afternoon. Tell him I'm at a board meeting. Well, I wouldn't be telling the truth. Oh, yes, it would, my dear. Wherever I turn, I'm meeting a board. <laughs> well, I'll go tell him. And Bertie, after he leaves, bring me something to eat. Yes, sir. Uh, slice up some of that tongue and make three or four sandwiches, huh? Yes. It's way past my lunchtime, and I feel as hollow as Judge Hooker's head. 
That's right, Gildersleeve. Go ahead and stuff yourself, then you'll never be able to get out of that box. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I never thought of that. It, just two tongue sandwiches, Bertie. Okay, but how about going to the pub? All fashioned? Yeah. Gee, I'm waiting to let the doctor come back to you. I bet he can get you out. Leroy, I don't need an allergy specialist. I need a tree surgeon. Well, he can put you on a reducing diet. Sorry, Leroy, but that wouldn't work. No matter how much your uncle reduced, he'd still be living on the fat of the land. Yeah. Hooker, why don't you go home? All right, all right, I can take a hint. I just hope you're stuck up there until your north side is covered with moss. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Uncle Mort, I'm sorry this happened. Now that he's gone, don't you feel sort of empty inside? Well, I'll say I do. Where's Bertie with those tongue sandwiches? Oh, Bertie. Yeah, I come, Mr. Gilfreeze. I had some trouble with the cat. And that doctor man said he'll be back later. He's still charging you for this visit. Well, never mind that now. What about my lunch? Didn't you bring me those sandwiches? No, sir. I'm awful sorry about that, but I can't. You can't? Why not? Because the cat got your tongue. <laughs> Piggy, pull! No, Piggy, don't, don't pull. You're just taking the back right out of my shirt. It's no use, boys. Oh, why did you ever build this thing so solidly? Jeepers, you told us to, Mr. Gildersleeve. You're trapped by my own words. You better climb down now, boys, and try to borrow a ladder and an axe someplace. Okay, I'll... And remember, I don't want anyone in the neighborhood to know about this. I'd be the butt of too many jokes. You coming, Leroy? Scramble down now. I can see the girl next door in her room. I don't want to attract any attention. We'll be right back, Uncle. Yeah, okay. Uh, hello, Dottie. How are you today? Oh, perfectly fine, except for a blister I picked up a tennis that's been annoying me ever since. Isn't it terrible? A uh, heel? I'll say he is. He followed me all the way home. Uh, <laughs> hey, how did you ever manage to get up so high? Is that a steam cabinet you're sitting in? What are you doing up in the tree? It, who, me? Oh, nothing. I'm uh, uh, just doing an important air raid defense job. You don't say. Well, what is it? You can trust me because you know I always keep my mouth closed and everything I hear goes right in one ear and out the other. Well, what's there in between to stop it? <laughs> oh, well, then you'll tell me, huh? What is it? What is it? Huh? Well, if you must know, I'm up here spotting airplanes. Spotting airplanes? Oh, how fascinating. Gee, I wish I could help you, only I wouldn't know what colors to spot them. Ew. No, I don't suppose you would. If, shh. Hey, what's that noise? Oh, oh my goodness. There's a fire somewhere. Huh? Oh, I simply must go because I just love to curl up in front of a good fire. Just my luck to have a nice, exciting fire somewhere, and I can't go. Is that you down there, Leroy? Yes, sir. Uh, where's the fire? You told me to borrow a ladder on a match, but not to tell the neighbors, so I just called the fire department. No. Great jumping jeeps. Why did you do that? Oh, I won't have it. Look at all those people. Send them away. And tell them to stop coming. Oh, kid, is that him up there? Yeah, Chief, but he says that he don't want Bring a 30-footer, boys! It, go away! It, take those fire wagons out of our alley. Keep that crowd out of our yard. Oh, a little violent, huh? Now, take it easy, Tubby. We'll get you down. <laughs> I don't want to come down. It, I like it up here. What is this guy, a squirrel? Don't worry, Uncle Mort. He'll chop you out from no time. Keep those hatchet men away from me. I'm very comfortable up here, and I, I won't come down until I'm good and ready. It's nutty as a fruitcake. He's jerky, that's all. Probably thinks he's General Doolittle. Why don't you brave fire ladders just go back to your checker game? Now, see here, Fatso, we were called to take you down from there. Who called you? Did I call you? No, but somebody... You're paid for putting out fires, not for coming around annoying innocent people who are enjoying a nice rest up a tree. 
But we're supposed to take Oh, care wasting of... the taxpayers' money, eh? Now, you get out of here before I pick up my phone and report this to the mayor. Come on, boys. Put that ladder back in the truck. Quinn, take this axe back. Yeah. Let's get out of here before I turn the hose on that big fat false alarm. <laughs> the idea. I guess I told him a thing or two. Gee, Uncle Mort, those guys could have gotten you out of here in a minute. Don't you want to come down? No, Leroy. I couldn't come down that ladder in front of that crowd. Why not? It, because there are a lot of nails up here, and I've torn a square foot out of the seat of my pants. <laughs> I cut down a tree once. And it takes days, Bertie. Say, Mr. Gillisleeve, I'll bet you you'd get through if you got a can of grease and gave yourself a good lube job. If. Thanks for the suggestion, Piggy. But I'll save that one until everything else fails. Oh, Lord, here comes Dr. DePasser. Oh, I've forgotten all about him. Say, I just realized something. I haven't sneezed since I came up here, Marjorie. He'll probably want me to stay here the rest of my life. Is Mr. Gildersleeve back yet? Oh, yes, yes. I'm, I'm up here, Doctor. Where? Oh, there you are. Well, come down now. We'll get started with those tests. Uh, come down, eh? Yeah. I'm afraid I'll have to stay up here a while. Oh, now, Mr. Gildersleeve, you should have more confidence in your doctor. You mustn't run away, you know. I'm not going to run away, but why don't you? Run away and come back some other day. Hmm, that's a rather peculiar reaction. I'll have to write the medical journal about this. Really, doctor, you don't understand. Oh, hey, keep away. Cut that out. What's wrong, Mr. Gildersleeve? Woodpeckers are trying to build a nest in my hair. <laughs> Poor Uncle Lloyd. Yeah, what's the matter? Is he allergic to woodpeckers? Well, here's a policeman to see you. A policeman? What does he want? There have been a lot of complaints from this neighborhood about a peeping Tom. A peeping Tom. <laughs> oh, help! Get him off! You, now the woodpeckers are dive bombing him. Get away from me, birds. You bother me. How's the sawing going on? Sawing? It, not so good. I'm getting too much attention from my little feathered friends. I've got an idea how we can scare off the birds. I'll be right back. All right. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Gilsey, but do you expect to be down for dinner? It, I hope so, Bertie. So do I, because I can't see how I'm going to serve your soup up there. Oh, well, that, that'd be simple. I could drink it through a straw. What, I'll steal soup? Yes, I'll steal. Yes, Kitty, Kitty. Yes, Kitty, Oh, Marjorie's cat. Good. Send him right up here, Leroy. I'm afraid some bird's going to lay an egg on me any minute. <laughs> Go ahead up down the more, Kitty. Yeah, boy. Yes. Keep on going. That's it. Yeah, here, Kitty, 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 Kitty. Oh, yes. Come on. It, stay right up here near your Uncle Mort. Isn't he cute? It, Leroy, that was certainly a bright eye. I, 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 you. You're welcome, Bertie. I, Hey. I didn't sneeze once since I came up here until that cat, the cat, the cat, the cat, I just found out what I'm allergic to, Marjorie. It's that cat of yours. Oh, well, this saves me a lot of doctor bills and time and trouble. Why, I'm so happy. No, no, don't call him, Leroy. Looks like I'm going to sneeze my way out of here. Hey, come here, nice kitty. <laughs> I can't hear you, Leroy. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. 
You're in the middle of our victory garden, Unc. Right between the mashed potatoes and the split peas. Yep. <laughs> gentlemen, it's just six months since Pearl Harbor. Since then, this nation has leaped to arms with one idea in our minds and hearts, victory. This summer, there'll be no slackening, no rest. The leading NBC shows are joining our government in bringing you the Victory Parade, a series of Sunday afternoon shows heard all through the summer in the Jack Benny time. We urge you to listen. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to tune in again next week at the same time for the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. Thanks for listening. I hope you're here next week when I'll have more radio gems to share with you. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.